Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. Uh, it's been a long time since I spoke to him, but I have Michael McDonald. He's a speaker, author, and an entrepreneur. And we're going to talk about uh, living with cystic fibrosis and diabetes. So, Mike, thanks for coming back. How are you doing? Yeah, doing really well, Richard. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, for listeners that, you know, it's been a long time. Uh, tell me a bit about your background and uh, what got you into becoming an entrepreneur and speaker, and et cetera. Well, I, I always knew that I was different from your average person. So having the, the health conditions from when I was born, pretty much, you know, a lot of it was my parents really having the responsibility of looking after a, a baby that failed to thrive. And, you know, the doctors having to ask my parents if they wanted to save me or not, that kind of made me feel quite grateful, I guess, as soon as I realized that. But when the responsibility started to move over to me, if you will, um, things started to feel quite real in that I realized just how different I was and how I had to basically engineer my day so that I could look after myself and then deal with whatever life threw at me. That's kind of how, how it built up over time. But there have been several moments where I just think differently to other people and not really want to do like what other people did. You know, I used to have a joke about like, I'm just not normal, right? Like being one of the only people where I used to live in the UK that didn't really feel like I could do a good job as an employee. Um, I wasn't a fan of being told what to do. Normal work just didn't really suit me because of the, the health side of things. So having to be at work for like half eight, nine o'clock in the morning, when I would sometimes wake up feeling really, really sluggish and the morning routines could take twice as long and realizing that that would impact my sleep and that everything else, it just connected in my brain that I just can't do that. And then if it was a physically demanding job for like eight hours a day plus, and then it affected my sleep and not being able to get up and do it all over again, it became very apparent that the normal working just wasn't going to work for me long term. Well, um, you haven't, I mean, we alluded to it, but you said you had failure to thrive and you've had a health problem since you were born. What were those problems if you were okay to talk about them? And, you know, so listeners have a context of why you felt like this. Yeah, well, there's, um, there's a few that really stick out. I mean, the, the first one was something that I never really realized until I started to deconstruct my journey, if you will, when I started writing the book, because I didn't really think about this until I started to write the book, which was 
when I was little, little, so primary school in the UK, sort of single digit in terms of how old I was, we, we did run a fundraiser for cystic fibrosis. So we used to be straightforward. A lot of fundraisers are raised like all over the place for CF and you know, the amazing work all the charities do. But because of the nature of the condition, I was the only kid that was allowed to have the condition at my school because of something called cross infection, which basically means long periods of time with other people with the same condition, we can make each other worse because there are so many different ways huh. of sort of having the condition. Um, it was just apparent that I was the only kid that was allowed to have it in the school. Just it's like if, if there was another child in the school with cystic fibrosis, one of us had to move. That was kind of how, how they would do it. I mean, I've had incidences with my brother where that's had to be the case. So it is something that the Wilson schools do take reasonably seriously. So it can happen. Um, well, there was a there was a movie on cystic fibrosis, and ironically, it was called like Five Feet or something like that. You know, as opposed to today's made up Six Feet. You know, with the the COVID stuff, um, yeah. that wasn't enough. Like the school was so cautious, they wouldn't even allow anyone else with cystic fibrosis to attend. Yeah, I, I guess it was more of a. Like you spend so long trying to regulate it and force the child to do certain things and only go to certain parts of the school that it'd probably just be so difficult to force a child to do that. You know, it would take all the fun out of it, which the society is now. Um, it's definitely taken some of the fun out of going outside, you know, for a lot of people. So, so yeah, that's kind of what it would have been like um, to try and keep us all like apart from each other. Was there literally a competition to, uh, you know, did you have to do anything to say you should be the one in that school versus uh, someone else? <laughs> uh, I have no idea. Uh, I, I was going to really have a say, but um, I imagine it was a case of who was closest to the school, um, all the encatchment areas of more than one school, are the parents comfortable changing schools, um, I imagine we were just quite lucky in, in that regard in that, you know, they were happy to, to change schools. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what, what can happen. But um, regarding the, the fundraiser, because I was the only kid that had the conditions, obviously the school had to give this presentation on why they are doing what they're doing. So you can't just have a non-uniform day at the school to raise money for a charity and not really explain what the charity is to the rest of the children. It seems a bit weird. Oh, we're all dressing up in a non-school uniform. Why? I don't know. We just thought we'd do it. Um, so they had to organise that, um, which involved me standing up in front of the whole school um, and basically telling people something that I'd essentially kept a secret behind closed doors. I didn't do things like sleepovers or anything because of that. And all of a sudden, this little secret that I had behind closed doors as a, a little boy, essentially, um, now all of a sudden the whole school would find out. So having that experience, and again, didn't realize it until writing the book, um, that was something that, you know, being singled out, realizing just how different I was from all the other kids, um, a lot of it was processed in terms of I'm not as good as the other children. You know, they're all better than I am. 
you know, a, a lot of kids are like, well, I'm older than you. And there's a lot, a lot of it's based on age and what you're good at, what you're bad at. There's a whole like comparison game when you're a little kid. I mean, we all have little things like that, even as adults, but as kids, it's like, I'm older than you, right? Or my dad's better than your dad or something like that. There's always something. Yeah. Kids always do that anyway, but this was different. Yeah, this was different because I had no control over it. I can't make it better. I can't make it go away. And having that made me sort of... Actually, well, at this point, I mean, fast forwarding though for a moment, um, how old are you? And you seem to, uh, I mean, I guess just because I'm talking to you, I assume that you're doing well with it better than most. But Yeah, I mean, the the whole sort of self-worth thing was something that I've always dealt with. Um, being worthy of something, not liking being singled out, wanting to be in the shadows and keep to myself because that's better than the alternative. Um, which, you know, like there's other incidences of like being bullied and being laughed at or, you know, b- b- being judged all the time as you're getting older by teachers, by friends, in some cases by parents. it's a constant, um, not battle, but you're navigating it all the time, you know, and you've got to be grounded in yourself to a certain degree just to be able to take the blows, to take those little chips away at your self-esteem. But I didn't have that. I didn't have anything to lean on, um, which meant a lot of it was difficult. A lot of it was accepting parts of it. Because while I might not have the same starting point as everybody else, that doesn't mean I can't achieve the same things. It just means I might have to work harder. So when I used to play sports, I would have to do the extra runs. I would have to spend longer in the gym. I would have to do more than the average person, which meant as I got older, I ended up better than average. So sometimes the extra work that I would put in thinking that I would end up the same as everybody else, I actually got better than my peers or my contemporaries, which is why I became a personal trainer. So I'd gone from similar, if you will, to not being as tired as some other people, to other people being a lot more tired than I was. Now, I had strengths and weaknesses like anybody else, i.e. long distance, I didn't even attempt. (laughs) So so I, I would never do like your 10K runs, your half marathons. Looking back to this day, as of right now, I kind of wish that I did because it would be amazing to see how far I would come if I attempted like longer distance things. I could play sports, I played tennis, I played basketball. So I did all those things, but asked me to run 10K. I would A, probably get bored first before I got tired. But then I just get to a point where it was kind of pointless and I'd start walking and stopping and starting. And I had this sort of thing of, I want to do things well as well. So like not doing it well would put me off as well. So I was very... Well, how, Mike, Mike, how old are you now? Me? I, I'm 29 now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I don't mean to... I, mean, I don't know if there's a continuum or a spectrum of cystic fibrosis, but um, do people experience like shortened lifespans or how long do they live with the condition or is there a, you know, like levels of severity with it? Yeah, the, the condition itself um, is what's known as degenerative, 
which mm-hmm. you're probably aware of this already, means it just gets worse over time. Right. Uh, it's a gradual process, which is why when I was in my early 20s, I'd gone from not being diabetic to being diabetic because mm-hmm. you've got type 1, which is like the organ not working properly, type 2, which is fat on the outside, causing insulin to struggle to get into the bloodstream. Then you've got cystic fibrosis related, which is where the mucus, if you will, on the inside does the same job as fat on the outside. So the insulin has a hard time being released. Um, So that's what I ended up getting because the condition got gradually worse. Now, before people like, oh, oh my God, woe is me going for the, the sort of sympathy vote, if you will. It's very popular. So it's something that you do get more susceptible to. It's something that is reasonably common amongst people that get the condition. So I'm, they might have said that to make me feel a bit better, but I also knew a few people that had it. So it wasn't as uncommon as I thought it was. Uh, the real turn for me, though, was I had a friend that had diabetes as well before I was diagnosed, right? So we kind of we got on. We passed each other in the hospital on our way to our appointments and things. Uh, we got a bit closer, so we actually played for the same sports team. So we, we would train together, um, obviously keeping our distance. We'd never really sat and chatted all that much. Um, and unfortunately, he actually passed away. So the conditions beat him, so to speak. Um, and then I was diagnosed. I mean, he, he was only one year older than me. So when that happened, I wasn't, I wasn't happy. Um, I had a couple of dark, had a couple of dark moments. Um, I questioned how long I would have left. You know, if someone who's a, a year older than me could yeah, have... You're probably anchored to them and think that that's how long you would live. Yeah, and I asked myself a lot of questions. Everything from, was everything that I was doing worth it? Bearing in mind, I was a personal trainer at the time. You know, I was in really, really well health-wise. This came as a complete shock, essentially. Um, mm. Thought, you know, was everything that I was doing even worth it? You know, I was doing like CrossFit and weightlifting and teaching spinning classes, and I was I was off the wall fitness-wise. And all of a sudden, it was all kind of sort of ground to a halt in a way of, is it worth still doing this? What's the point? You know, if if the best you're going to get is like 5% above average, is it really worth all the extra work that you're putting in? And then it was... Oh, more... so you, you felt like above average wasn't even enough or a little bit above you wanted to be, what, the best in the world at something? Or what was your goal? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. I mean, if you're exercising like two to three times a day, four to oh. five a week teaching classes training yourself training clients doing everything from like yoga to circuit training to powerlifting to weightlifting um and then i was a tennis coach as well that was one of my sports i got good enough to help others at i was a tennis coach and just the amount of stuff that i had to do to hit that when you say average what what do you mean like what what did you compare yourself to well, the, the way it tends to work um, with, with cystic fibrosis generally, I mean, if you look at what I was able to do and what I was doing, I was very above average. But when yeah. I went to the hospital and do a lung function test, 
which is that they, they monitor like how fast I can breathe in and how fast I can breathe out and how much volume of, of the air that is. So it's like, um, it's basically it's a VO2 max test. So right. air can you breathe in, how much air can you breathe out and how fast is that? So they tend to monitor the first second, right? How much can you breathe out in the first second? And I would get about 105%, which seems amazing when you think, oh, 100%, that's like the most, right? Unfortunately not. So 100% is average for someone for who's my weight, my height, my age, or essentially my build um, without CF. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, you know, if, if CF for a lot of people is so debilitating that it kills them pretty early on. I mean, you know, maybe a little hard on yourself. But when, when I, I was getting that consistently and when I was unwell, everyone would start to question it when I got to like 96%. They'd be like, what's going on? There's something wrong. We need to change something. And oh, so, they, so they anchored in that that was, you know, my, that my was bad. My, well, what, what is typical for someone with uh, cystic fibrosis in terms of lung function? So it, it, it can be anywhere sort of on the spectrum of people that are so bad that they need new organs, essentially. Um, it can drop to like 30%, 20 percent. But they are struggling. They don't do enough. They're probably tired walking to the toilet after they wake up. So again, I'm at the the top sort of level, if you will, how bad the condition is. So when someone asks me, is it a health condition or is it a disability? In my view, it's a health condition, but it can become debilitating um whether you let it get that way or whether it's so severe genetically because it is a genetic condition whether it's so intense that it's never going to not be debilitating like some people are born with it in such a way that there's nothing they can do Uh, and it's very disempowering for some people i don't like labeling it in that way because my experience has been very very different to what some people would say. So Yeah, but it sounds like you made a lot of choices and took, you know, massive action to help yourself. Yeah, I mean, there's a big part of it. Would it be horrible if I didn't play sport from an early age? Would it be really bad if I didn't look after myself as much as I did? Yeah, but then, you know, there's a whole chicken and egg thing. Would it always have not been so bad just because it, I'm not on like the very intense level, if you will, or is it because it never really gets to that point because I look after myself. It's very difficult. But to- look, it's safe to say, you know, you, you're not going to get absolutes, but you can easily say you were a lot better off health wise than you otherwise would have been. You don't have to quantify exactly, but you know, for sure, you can easily say you're in much better health than you would otherwise be. So, well, maybe that's enough. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess it was, it was probably a sense of I wasn't getting any fitter. I was feeling better. And what I was able to do with what I was given was quite a lot, if that makes sense. So while my lung function probably never got any better, because it didn't, like, I would go years with it barely budging at all. And... It's frustrating. You work really hard for years, and the best you get 
is like 5%. And they say stuff like, oh, well, you cough something off your chest. That can add like 3%. And I'm thinking, oh my God, the difference between 100% and 105% could be me just clearing my chest before I do the test. And I'm sat there and I'm just like, I get it. I understand it. But if I wake up and have a really bad day, they're judging me based on the moment, right? And there's so much that goes into it. If I go out for a run and then do the test, I could be 110%, 115% because exercise increases your lung capacity just because of like, it's almost like a, a preparation reflex that your body has. And I know that from doing enough exercise to know I can, I can feel like I have two lungs, four, four sets of lungs sometimes, you know, because you exercise, oh my God, this is amazing. I feel like I've got four lungs instead of two. This is fantastic. If I did the same test, it would no, no doubt be a heck of a lot more, but that's based on like the best possible outcome, right? If I, if I do a spinning class and I get off, and then the doctors test me, they'll be like, yeah, your lung function's 120%, but I know for a fact that that's like the best possible outcome. So there's... Oh, there's if, if, fact- if we could shift gears just for a moment. Um, sure. Because of your condition, because you're a personal trainer, because you worked on yourself so much, I would think you'd have really good insights for your clients. Like, what do you, what do, you do differently, if anything, you know, from other personal trainers because of who you are and what you know? Well, this is where I actually started to grow away from just personal training. Anyone that's listening that is a personal trainer or has had a personal trainer, they're almost like therapists sometimes to their clients. I've had clients tell me stuff they wouldn't tell their partners. I've had all kinds of stuff going on. And I realized that you can help people get healthier and fitter, like the, the common way, right? eat better, move better, and you'll get better results. What I started to realize was they would spend, let's say, four hours a week, five hours a week in the gym or exercising or doing something. The rest of the week could be anything. And as soon as I realized that, I realized that it was a lifestyle design profession versus a just exercise and diet profession. So everything from organizing their day to conversations with their partners to stress relief to sometimes just being organized allowed them to not be as stressed out, which allowed them to have more time at home to cook their meals properly or prepare their meals versus just throwing something in the microwave. That had nothing to do with changing their diet. That was organizing their day and realizing they had to leave for their appointments 10 or 20 minutes earlier to give them the time to be healthier. So once I started to have these conversations with them, I realized that I had to learn about people and how people worked and operated and made their decisions. The whole why we do what we do started to play a big, big part in how I would help my clients. So I studied, I did courses, I read dozens of books, some of the books of which I had bought when I was a teenager, but I just never read. And they were gathering dust in my little cupboard in my bedroom and I'd never touched them until then. You know, like 
feel the fear and do it anyway. And the Tony Robbins books, it was like, I've bought these. I've never read them. And yet when I Google like self-improvement books, they were nearly top of the list at the time. And I go, oh my God, I feel like I've been doing this my entire life. And yet I hate reading. That's why I've never really read these books. And then I suddenly had a reason to read these books. And all of a sudden I started to miraculously want to read, um, which I never would have done before because I, I actually don't enjoy reading. And this sort of made me realize that self-improvement comes first, lifestyle design comes first, healthy and losing weight is just a result of everything else. It's just what we see. But everything else, if you live like a healthy person, you will be healthy. If you live like an unhealthy person, you will be unhealthy. There's no point in going after the surface level result. Like you could tell someone to eat better, but if their lifestyle doesn't allow for it, you've got no chance. And I realized that I designed my life in a way that allowed me to experience the result of self-improvement, being healthier, being happier, and being a reasonably fit and healthy person. But then I started to go on the the self-improvement and personal development road, which really kicked everything else off. What are some, um, I don't know, some suggestions for people on how to improve their circumstances first before they start an exercise, you know, program or other improvement program? Well, one of the, the sort of the quickest examples is one of my clients changed their route on the way home from work so they could go to the supermarket and get cooked food that was healthier than going to mcdonald's on the way home or pizza hut on the way home so if you give people only healthy choices so that no matter what they pick it's a healthy one it's the whole cliche of if you don't buy chocolate you don't eat chocolate so when i when we pinpointed it and yeah the journey was a bit longer but they were going to get healthier food from the shop because they, they were never going to have the time to cook. So we, when we had this conversation, they were never going to find the time because by the time everybody got home, she was either too tired to really commit to the cooking. It was a bit like lethargic or whatever it was. The, the way it was all timed was no matter what, she had to find a way of making it straightforward. That's why she would get frozen food or microwave meals or they go out for food to save all the cooking and cleaning and everything else. But we realized that if she went to the supermarket to buy like cooked chickens or like ready to eat type stuff that was, you know, healthier than the alternatives, she instantly changed everything. You know, she could buy like two or three chickens and that could last them a week's worth of chicken-based meals. So then we went from doing like meal runs every day to meal prep that involved already pre-cooked food. And she realized that if she had prepared half of her meals, she could dedicate some time to cooking other meals. So it was a massive juggling act that all stemmed from we change your journey from work to home that meant that you could have healthier choices, healthier options. And she found that that was the best way of doing it. So a lot of people struggle to be healthy when they're on the move or healthy when 
their life is a bit hectic because their lifestyle was pretty hectic, like two jobs, family, the husband worked. It was very, um, very. No, that's a good. Uh, that's a good trick. Are, are there other ones that um, when people made a very small change like that, that led to a lot of difference? Yeah, I mean, um, another one was trying to picture the. Yeah, there, there was one where she would have to wake up half an hour earlier to prepare everything else for the day, like breakfasts and all those things before everybody else woke up. And then because the kids were half independent, meaning like they they could do their own stuff and get ready, um, she then had the time to prepare like her gym kit. So then once she dropped the kids off to school, she could then go straight to the gym. Now, the reason why we did that rather than just get gym kit ready was she'd often forget to do something or there'd be something missing that she'd forget before she'd have to take the kids to school, which meant that it was on her mind and she'd feel that going to the gym would take away from the other stuff that she was doing. Sort of like when I used to, when I used to encourage people to meditate for, say, half an hour, it would make things worse because they're now half an hour behind <laughs> with everything else. So they meditate to be like reduce their stress levels or feel calmer. But then when they got back into their day, they'd lost half an hour. So once we established that, you know, being half an hour ahead with your to-do list is better than having half an hour to, or like 20 minutes to get ready for the gym. It was like, if you're ahead, and you do what you need to do with your extra time, you can then put that time towards like the health or the gym side. So again, it's just a different, different way of doing it. But somebody else, another one of my clients, actually got her gym kit ready the night before because she had that extra time at the end of the day to do that, where somebody else actually worked nights. So she couldn't do that. She had to work, get back, get up, get ready, it was a very different structure to the day. This is where the actual strategies that you want to use are very, very tailored. Which again, you don't learn any of this when you become a personal trainer. This came about from working with clients and realizing that I was getting decent results, but I wanted to go bigger. I wanted to help people more, which came it actually coincides with my clients realizing that I had health conditions because initially I spent so long trying to be like normal, if you will, in inverted commas. And I carried it off because I was doing so well. No one would have thought that I had these conditions. So that worked really well until I started to grow the, the online business. And I realized that like media and PR and all those things was important. And as soon as my clients read an article on me in our local magazine, they were like, is this you? And I was like, yeah, it is. Yeah. So we started having this conversation around like their excuses didn't mean anything because I had bigger problems to deal with, if that made sense. And the past comments that are inspirational, it's amazing. They started to not really um, get, give a lot of weight to their excuses. Like at first it was like their entire life was their excuses. But now it was like, no, this doesn't matter. 
Microsoft this, this, and this, and he can still do it. So I don't have a reason to. This not having time isn't true. I have to make time. So they started to almost coach themselves because they knew more about me and my story, but they encouraged me to share my story more. They encouraged me to do that because they benefited from it and they felt that other people could as well. So that spurred this sort of new version of me, if you will. And I had to grow up pretty quickly. I had to get out of my introvert shell pretty quickly if I was going to do that. So it led to a whole conversation with myself around responsibility, around being a role model, around being this inspirational figure, which initially started without realizing it. That's what I was doing. Then I started to really own it and I started to really take it on board. And then everything else sort of really took off because of that. Because at first I had no idea what I was doing. But then I was a real, and they started to tell me, I was like, oh, maybe I can do this. I want to give people some resources on how to find out more from you. So where can they go to find out more about your, your work and your teachings? Well, they can go to social media firstly. So I'm the Michael Bryan on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. And I also have a podcast, which is the Ask Mike Show, which is focused on self-improvement. But I also have guests from multiple industries, really. So like singers and athletes and all kinds of different people. And I, I interview them as well, because one of the things that I realized is it takes a certain type of person to achieve the success that they have. And it's interesting to see the, the commonalities and patterns that, that they experienced as well. So, yeah, okay. very exciting. Well, very good, Mike. Well, thank you for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Richard. Thanks for having me on. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.